You're listening to The Real Foster Parents of Colorado. I'm Hope, and I started Foster Together Colorado to meet the needs I saw in my first three years as a foster mom. My theory, and it has proven true so far, is that if we make it easy to learn about the human stories of foster care, then good-hearted Coloradans will be ready to help in simple ways. This is the only podcast focused on foster parenting or child welfare in Colorado. Our goal is to make foster care fascinating by stories from neighbors to neighbors and living room conversations. This podcast is the next best thing to meeting a foster parent in real life and asking them all those questions. How do you make it work? Don't you get attached? What's it like when they leave? This is episode six. I've been waiting to share this one with you because it's about fostering teenagers. I actually, one specific teenager, I asked my friends Kate and Adam to talk to me about what it's been like since they took in their 16, now 18 year old foster daughter and we've been waiting for this episode until her birthday. But before we get too far into this episode, I want to encourage you to go visit our social media accounts this week because we're starting something new. We are posting every episode a provocative question related to the episode. So at the end of my chat with Kate and Adam today, I will tell you the question. But if you're curious and you're scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or Twitter while you're listening and you want to head over there now, the handle for Instagram is Foster Together. The handle for Facebook is Foster Together Colorado. And on Twitter, we're using my personal account, Hope Forti, H-O-P-E-F-O-R-T-I. These questions and your answers and our interaction on social media is a crucial part of the next step for Foster Together. I've always believed, and this is why I started Foster Together, that the way we talk about things, the way we normalize things, is what shapes culture and what shapes mindsets and what shapes um, what we accept as okay in our society. And so I want to challenge us all to make talking about foster care and keeping kids safe as normal as it is to post our excitement about Amazon Prime Day or travel tips or requests about where we get our nails done to still talk about foster care in a serious, weighty way that it deserves, but normalizing it. That is the missing ingredient for foster care to become a much safer, more healthy and healing place for children than it is today. All that to say, come on over and see us on social media while you're listening to the podcast or right after it, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Kate and Adam, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Okay, so you're both foster parents. You're married to each other, and you're foster parents to a teenager, right? Correct. And we'll get into that a little bit more in a few minutes. But first, can you tell me about yourselves? What does your life look like outside of foster care? Uh, sure. Um, I am 30 years old. I work in the legal field. I'm a chief operating officer at a law firm that specializes in working with cannabis businesses in Denver. Um, I mostly grew up in Colorado. I uh, went to school at CU, which is where Adam and I met each other. Um, and within the last few years, we moved back and forth between Colorado and Texas, but settled back in Denver in 2015. And uh, I'm an electrical engineer. I am, um, and, and when I'm not doing that, I like to climb, rock climbing as much as I can. Outdoor or indoor? Uh, both. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes on buildings too. <laughs> Try to be outside as much as I can. Before I was an engineer, I worked as a production rigger, so I did some industrial climbing, stuff like that. Awesome. So you're both professionals, and um, you're now involved in foster care. 
So one thing I was curious about before we dive into your foster care story is, do you have a lot of friends who do foster care? And what was your initial motivation for even entering this world? Has it always been something you've thought about or how did it get started? Uh, to answer the first question, no, we don't have a lot of friends who foster. Um, we're meeting people through the community. Um, but when we entered this, I think really the only people we knew who did foster care were some neighbors of ours that we had in Texas. Um, and they were we were very close with them. I think they fostered nearly 30 kids in two years um, and eventually adopted a pair of twin boys out of that system. Um, and that was very inspirational to me. Um, watching them work in a sort of rural community with a lot of drug issues and, and difficult babies. They took babies specifically. Um, and it really so babies that were maybe going through drugs with a lot of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kids that needed a lot of specialized medical care. And they also had um, five other biological children of their own. And I looked at that and I thought, if they can do this, you know, we can do this. Um, and we kept Because that, you felt like they were somebody you could relate to and they yeah. were pretty pretty similar to your lifestyle. And you also watch people who look like they're doing the absolute most that they can, and then they do more, mm-hmm. you know, and that's very inspirational. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really inspirational. And I think that you were, both of us really were looking for some sort of volunteer activity that was, we've been kind of wrapped up in being professionals for a little while by that time. And, you know, you spend so much time focusing on yourself. Eventually you get to a point where, what can I do? to get involved with other people. And and also you know. in a meaningful way. I mean, we were looking for something that was more than like a weekend volunteer project mm-hmm. or sort of like here and there. We were looking for something that was... Had like, some more substance than... Yeah, just, it was longer term yeah. and got us involved with the community, mm-hmm. which eventually led me down the path to CASA. Okay, so what's CASA? CASA is Court Appointed Special Advocates, um, and they are in... Um, a lot of states, as far as I know. I know yeah. in Colorado, they're in all the metro counties and some of the rural counties as well. Um, but being a CASA is a little bit more than being a mentor. Um, it starts with that mentor-type relationship with kids who are in uh, the foster care system. And um, beyond the mentorship and the relationship building, your job is to truly be an advocate for that child. So whereas a caseworker or a guardian ad litem may have 20 or 30 cases that they're juggling, a CASA only takes one case at a time. And that leads to um, an ability to really not only connect with that kid in a meaningful way, but to truly advocate for them in a way that their other professionals can't just because they don't have the time to spend with those kids. So you go to court, you testify on behalf of the kid, you write court reports. Oftentimes judges will take the word of a CASA over the word of a caseworker mm-hmm. um, because whereas caseworkers have to see kids once every 30 days, um, CASAs visit sometimes multiple times a week mm-hmm. and you really spend a lot of time together. Um, so I got involved with Denver CASA when we moved back here about three years ago, um, worked on two cases before, before I met yeah. Amber, who mm-hmm. we're fostering now. Okay. And was it a decent experience volunteering through Denver CASA? Do you feel like they were responsive to you, trained you well, supported you mm-hmm. through the experience? CASA was a, a fantastic experience. I okay. mean, in fact, one of the hardest things about choosing to foster was knowing that I'd be no longer being a CASA. I mean, that was kind of a double-edged sword. Um, but everything from the initial application and screening process with them through the training and then the actual support that I had from my, um, I forget how they described it, basically my supervisor mm-hmm. at CASA um, was fantastic. 
I mean, it's a it's a wonderful program. Um, and it, it gave me what I was looking for in terms of a meaningful commitment, because you have to be on that case for as long as it's open. Mm-hmm. And some cases are open for a few months and some are open for years and years. I mean, we were just getting to the point where we were looking at fostering mm-hmm. as a husband and wife team mm-hmm. when um, when we decided to foster or not fostering, uh, being CASAs as a husband and wife team. Oh, Adam right. was about to look at training, just about getting ready to do that. And things changed course. A little okay, bit. tell us that story. Adam, what happened? And essentially her current placement just kind of disappeared. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember that Friday when she moved out of the home, Kate and I just had the conversation. Well, what if she can't go back to the placement? You know, we, can she go back into one of these other homes? You know, she's made so much progress in six months. That weekend we had that conversation and by just, and we were just talking about what if and then. I guess by Sunday, by Sunday, it just turned out that she was clear she wasn't going to be returned to that placement. I worked very closely with her guardian ad litem, her attorney, um, to talk about this option. And by Sunday, you know, she was going to go to school Monday morning. Mm-hmm. And then after school, nobody knew where she was going to go. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a, you a had even when did you reach out to the CASA, the CASA group and make I sure? I called CASA Monday. You know, it was the weekend. So CASA was closed. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things they teach you in CASA is enmeshment versus engagement. Okay. And, you know, you want to engage fully with these kids and mm-hmm. you want to be present and with them when you're when you're with them. But you don't want to enmesh yourself in their lives because they need CASAs. They don't need foster families. Okay. CASA yeah. needs CASAs. Um, and so I was a little nervous to call my CASA supervisor and tell her what was going on. And they were just wonderfully supportive. Um, and they continued to allow Amber to participate in CASA activities, mm-hmm. which I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, so on Monday, um, you know, on Sunday afternoon, we had decided that we were going to do this if Amber wanted to. Um, she didn't know that we were considering this over the weekend. It was very important to us that we didn't lead her down that path if we Until weren't we certain. Yeah. Um, that it was commitment. You don't want to break a commitment to a kid. Right. And, you know, even if we had decided we wanted to do it, we didn't know if the court was going to allow it right. or if the caseworker was going to approve. So we were very careful with the steps that we took. Um, but again, it was extremely high pressure and fast because this happened over a weekend. And you, of course, you can't reach professionals on the weekend. You can't reach caseworkers. Case I had been able to get a hold of her guardian ad litem because who, who knew was aware of the situation. Um, but then on Monday... Didn't we go to the court on Monday? Monday. We had, we had like, Amber was at school and we had a, the placement hearing, emergency yeah. placement hearing. And the court granted the placement and we picked her up from school that day. And that was that. And that was that. Wow. <laughs> Just pausing the interview for a quick second here to tell you how important it is for us to have your reviews on iTunes. This storytelling is one of the most important things we do at Foster Together, and your reviews on iTunes will help us get to the place where more people in Colorado are seeing the podcast when they're trying to decide what to listen to. So let me read you one of my favorite reviews so far. This one comes from a Colorado foster dad, and he said, every interview is a worthwhile listen. The host does a stellar job interviewing, thank you, and keeping the dialogue on point, and the pace is just right. A needed subscription for anyone who cares about child welfare. I love it. If you like the podcast, just go to the podcast app on your phone, click on The Real Foster Parents of Colorado, scroll down past our episode listing, and you'll see where it says ratings and reviews. And maybe your review will be the one I read on the next episode. Back to the show. You've mentioned a word kinship a couple of times. What, um... What does that mean? Is that different from being a foster parent? The best way it's ever been described to me is that when you're a foster parent, 
you open your home to maybe an age range or a gender or something, and then you don't really know who's going to come into your home. When you're a kinship provider, you identify a kid and you say, we would like to open our home to that specific kid. Um, and so kinship is basically an identified placement from the beginning. It, a lot of people mistake it as meaning that there's some sort of biological relationship. And that's kind of the roots is like a lot of times it's, it's uncles and aunts and grandparents. And in fact, when we went through the training and the certification, was mostly it. it was mostly family mm -hmm. members. Um, but in our case, we have a relationship. That's great. Mm -hmm. um, so can this offer specific benefits and or challenges for um, providers already knowing the kids? Both, definitely. Yeah. I mean, statistically and from the you know, studies that have been done on fostering, um, it's shown that kinship is often more successful in terms of outcome for kids. And of course, that's very success, uh, subjective. Um, but the stability of putting a child, removing it, the trauma of removing a child from a home can oftentimes be um, in some ways balanced with the stability of putting them in a home with someone they know. Mm -hmm. um, so it reduces, it further reduces the trauma they're experiencing by being removed from their home. Um, Pre-existing relationship. Yeah, they're not going That's into right. a stranger's home. I mean, I think we can all identify with how yeah. scary that would be. All of a sudden, you're dropped on someone's doorstep. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you can probably speak to some of, we talk a lot about the benefits that we have as kinship foster care parents that traditional foster parents don't get to share in. Yeah, a big part of her moving in is both Kate and I knew her as a person. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just a random person being dropped or in. a file. From the mm -hmm. system. Exactly. She wasn't, she wasn't just paper. We already yeah. had a interest in her and, and knew who she was. And you start on that and path. And you probably had an idea of whether you could meet her needs. Correct. Definitely. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a, I think even when you're raising biological children, you know, you don't ever know how it's going to go. Right. But um, we knew everything from I, I knew what kind of food she liked and mm -hmm. to eat and didn't like to eat, all the way up to I knew what her educational needs were and her goals were. Um, and even, again, I had that benefit from being her CASA too. Like I had access to her file and I knew her therapists and those things. <clears throat> so for us, it was a lot less risky, um, I think. There are a lot of unknowns to the situation because we're single. I mean, we, we don't have any kids and we never intended to. And so just we had no idea whether we'd be capable parents, mm -hmm. you know, but knowing her helped some of those questions. Um, it definitely made, I think, made us feel more confident. Yeah. We were not on a path to have children and weren't necessarily ready for, but sometimes life puts something in your path and you know that you can do it. So mm -hmm. you know that you should do it. Mm -hmm. And this was one of those situations. And not that this is everything, but I, I felt like your experience with both CASA and kind of with legal issues really helped us navigate all of that's I feel like parenting might be a very like natural thing. Whereas all the court stuff and government related items, it's not something that everybody really I don't I didn't feel like I could understand it in a very natural way. So it was really helpful that you knew how to navigate. You kind that. of got onboarded through yeah. CASA. I mean, part it of the really reason I, I wanted to work for CASA was because I work in the legal field. So mm -hmm. I thought that, that my skill set would be a match. And um, also having the training to know who the GAL was. And, you know, we went through our certification as a kinship family. And a lot of our um, 
you know, fellow parents who are about to be kinship providers didn't know the verbiage. They didn't mm-hmm. understand the relationship between the team members. Mm-hmm. They didn't, they weren't trauma informed. You know, that was all training that I'd had um, that made me know that even though I hadn't been a parent before, that I was at least clinically <laughs> prepared mm-hmm. for what was coming our way. The system side of foster parenting. Yeah, which I honestly, that I can be rather daunting. It can be the harder, the scarier part is the system part of it. So knowing that we had that under control. And also, I think it's just our general attitude towards that system. I mean, <laughs> okay, talk true. more about yeah. that. I want to hear more about that. What's your attitude towards the system? That the less of it there is, the better everyone's lives are. Okay. Um, um, I... I don't like to use the word skeptical or I just untrusting, but that, I guess that's my natural feeling towards all of that stuff. And even through the training, I had this, you know, I try to be open-minded, but when you go through it, my natural thought is like, this is a waste of my time. So <laughs> even though I don't want to think that way going into it, I'm already biased. Yeah. You know, so and, Kate has posted some funny things on Facebook about some of the trainings you guys have too. Can you give us a little rundown of a couple of your favorite? Uh, My favorite funny. definitely was taking an infant CPR training for mm-hmm. our 17 year old. Mm-hmm. That was very frustrating and a huge waste of time. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to take the emergency prepare. You haven't taken this one yet. The emergency mm-hmm. preparedness training where you know what to do in like an active shooter situation mm-hmm. or if there's an avalanche mm-hmm. uh, or a lightning in strike, in apparently, in or where I happen to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's some threads that run through these trainings that, you know, at the risk of sounding like a complete snob, really drive me crazy. <laughs> the materials are not uh, proofread and well presented. The presenters often don't know how to use the technology. Mm-hmm. People, you know, they start a half an hour late, mm-hmm. very inconsiderate of your time. Um, and well, it's also there's this attitude that it's not even that important to them. I, I mean, I guess that's again, I'm speaking. It's kind of like a, we all have to be here. When you yeah. go through the training. Yeah, they don't so we'll just be walk there. through we the lesson plan. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. it's it's less about, you know, here's how to get some tools and let's get excited about, you know, what you're the what you're about to embark on. Helping a kid. And it's more about which checking is boxes. A, yeah. Yeah. It's more about box checking, which is difficult because, you know, it's hard to understand why we should do it just to check a box. Well, and you're also, you know, in kinship, it's most common for people to be going through certification after placement has occurred, mm-hmm. which is the opposite of a traditional foster family. Mm-hmm. So at the same time that you have recently welcomed a child into your home, which is a giant adjustment, especially in a situation like ours, where in 24 hours we found out we were becoming parents. Um, it's also that now I have to spend, I don't know, eight hours a week for six weeks. Yeah. And I, and in our case, we have a teenager, so she can be left home alone for some of that time. But people with younger kids, there's no child care provided mm-hmm. at these trainings. And you have to sort of arrange all that at the same time that you're scurrying around trying That's to settle your home life. Very good point, because the first two months were really very, very challenging for us. And, and those are the most important times to, for bonding. Mm-hmm. You know? We were just adjusting to her schedule and taking her to places and all the extra doctor things things to bring her up to speed that she hadn't been getting. And at the same time, we were trying to get the training done as quick as we can. And mm-hmm. it was, a, it was an added load on, on us at a time where we were still trying to adjust to all this extra stuff. And I think part of the rub of it for me is also that I'm 
an open-minded person towards training. I mean, mm-hmm. there are a lot of areas about trauma and parenting and fostering that I would love to learn more about. And you don't even approach those things mm-hmm. through the certification training. I mean, we're talking about things like five pound fire extinguishers mm-hmm. and escape plans <laughs> from your house. And, and it's hard not to talk about that without seeming like bitter mm-hmm. sort of, but you know, you're in a position where you've already stepped up to take care of a kid that other people in the system have failed time and time again. And then instead of that just being enough, they're asking you to also give more of your time that you don't have and more of your brain power that you don't have um, and put you through exercises that are really just bureaucratic and not helpful. Um, and and it, it would never change their mind. I mean, it never made us think maybe this isn't for us. And I think that's part of the frustration is you're never gonna quit on a kid because of this stuff. You'll put yourself through it time and time again. Thank you for listening to The Real Foster Parents of Colorado. Now that we finished the first half of our conversation with Kate and Adam, I want to tell you what the question is all over social media if you haven't already gone and looked it up. The question this time is who do you know who you admire for doing such an excellent job parenting teenagers? It could be somebody you know presently or somebody you're remembering from a generation or two ago. Go ahead and share a memory or a strategy that you admire about that person, and we'll all have a chance to learn from each other about what we can do best for all teens that we know, and especially those in foster care. I've already shared my answer to the question on all of our accounts, and I'm looking forward to hearing yours too. Again, you can find us all over social media. On Instagram, we are Foster Together. On Facebook, we are Foster Together Colorado. And on Twitter, we're using my personal account, Hope Forti, H-O-P-E-F-O-R-T-I. And if you're not already signed up for my emails that I send out every time we have a new podcast episode ready for you, which is every two to three weeks right now, please just private message your email address to me at any of those accounts, or you can email connect at fostertogether.co. And I'll make sure I add you to the list for the next time because you don't want to miss the second half of the conversation with Kate and Adam. They get very honest with us about how they found their own motivations changing and shifting through their time foster parenting their daughter. They also talk to us about what the rules are in their house and how they came up with them. I think you'll love it. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.